coming up in the next episode. So that aspect of a glass ceiling, it started chipping away slowly because I could put my money where my mouth is. Like I could walk the talk, I could do the work and I could do it well because South Africans have a fantastic work ethic. Mm. So I feel like um, young people need to go experience that culture, that grit, that pain. Um, Welcome everyone to another fresh episode of The Turning Points. This is The Turning Points. This, our show is about people's defining moments and how they use those moments to become their better, better versions of themselves. Today's guest is Kia Pizzi. Kia Mohetsu Pizzi Mawela, Double Barrel. Kia is a professional, works for one of the leading uh, motor manufacturing companies in the world, is a wife. Uh, daughter, friend, and sister. She is also a gym bunny uh, who loved going to the gym pre-COVID, uh, loves playing golf, especially on weekends. They loves the, the smell of freshly cut grass and the court uh, and mm. is an avid socialite, uh, loves traveling and blogging, is used to read a lot of fantasy growing up, but now is into business books and is a very extroverted person with a very small cycle. Welcome so to the Turning Points podcast and thank you so much for joining us today, Kia. Thank you so much for, for having me. I am very, very happy to be here. Excellent. So how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I am feeling motivated. Uh, I'm in I'm in an excited space right now. Um, lots of energy and lots of places to put it in. I mean, I've said a lot. I think almost four paragraphs uh, about you. But what do you say when people meet you and they say, well, "Who who is Kia Pizimawel?" Um, when people ask who Gia Pizimawela is, um, yeah, I, I usually tell them that I, I am a professional who is in the automotive industry and I know a lot about cars more than anybody would expect a female to, to know. Um, and I am married, um, I have a husband and we have a young puppy. Milo, um, I am a daughter. I absolutely love and adore my family. And more than that, I am an extrovert with a very small circle of friends. And um, yeah, we are we are wanderlust type of people who enjoy traveling, enjoy sports, enjoy golf, enjoy going to restaurants. So um, that's who Kia is. Kia is also somewhat an academic. I have never ever stopped going to school and um, in one way or another, I keep finding courses um, for me to do or to study. And I don't think that'll change anytime until I become maybe a professor one day, who knows? And yeah, for, for now that's, that's who Kia is. Wonderful. I mean, you, you said quite a mouthful, right? And one of the things yeah. you said was, um, the, the the love that you have for your family uh, you adore you said i think you used the ad adjective you adore your family um um how was your 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 upbringing how did you grow up where did you grow up and 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 what about your growth do you, did you really cherish Okay, so my upbringing was um, nothing new to, to, to most South Africans. So I grew up in Hamanskral, um, a, a township that's just north of Pretoria. And, you know, my life started out with a very, very happy household with a mom and dad and an older brother. But that soon came crumbling down around when I was 
12 years old, 11, 12 years old, and my parents divorced. And, you know, my mom was left stranded as a single parent. Um, and I remember at the time, um, I mean, all I had was my mom and my brother. And, you know, we went through difficult financial struggle. Um, my mom did absolutely everything that she could to um, ensure that we stayed in a private school um, despite having to survive off like one teacher's salary. Um, and I remember at the time I buried myself in books. That's, that's what I did 24-7. I've literally probably read all the books in the Haman Scroll Library. Um, I buried my head in books. I just read and read as much as I could, whatever I could find, anything that could take me away from from my reality, my difficult reality. Mm. And looking back, I am so grateful for that because the the beauty behind books is that you as a young person, you're able to imagine a life that you normally wouldn't have access to or you normally wouldn't be surrounded by. You learn places, you learn um, different countries, you learn the different types of people who've lived in the past, what they've done. Um, So despite having a difficult childhood, I feel privileged that I was led to be into that space of reading Um, and sports. I'm I'm an avid basketball, used to be an avid basketball player and used to be captain of my basketball team as well. And, you know, it's, it's when I look back at my childhood, I'm very, very grateful for, for all of those opportunities. Yeah, I mean, you you talk about basketball and typically when you look at the average basketball player, they're at least twice your height. You're very, very diminutive as a person. How how did that, you know, that love actually uh, develop and and how did your height uh, impact the way that you were perceived by people you were playing with and people you were playing against? So I, I first came across basketball, I think, when I was in grade eight or nine. And obviously, being in a troubled home, um, I wanted to escape that as much as possible. So I, if I remember properly, the library wasn't open on weekends, so I had to find something else to do. And the basketball team, um, the male basketball team, used to practice on the weekends. So I decided to join them. So I would practice during the week like with the, with the ladies. And then I would practice with the boys um, on the weekends. And I remember um, somebody did say, like, you're too short um, to be in a basketball team. And I remember telling myself, okay, I'm going to show them that, um, yeah, I am short, but I'm going to work harder. I'm going to run faster. I'm going to do more layups. I'm going to shoot more. And eventually the coach started seeing my dedication and my drive to push myself. I mean, when you're practicing with boys, you, you know, you, they quite, they are a lot stronger. They are a lot faster. And I would try to keep up as much as possible. And eventually I could. Um, and that's how I ended up being like, uh, probably the shortest um, basketball captain they've ever had. And it's not to say that I was absolutely like amazing at basketball. It's, it, was, it wasn't my talent that got, got me to be captain. It was my hard work. It was my dedication. It was my commitment to the game. Mm. And yeah, that's, yeah that's, like, that's, that's who I am. That's my type of personality. And, 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 and for me, that, that's where I actually want to go because you, it's like um, you, you had to apply yourself. And, and how is that, you know, that mentality of, you know, I don't care who who wants to look down at me, uh, whoever it is next, if I want something, I will get to, I will do it because I have the drive and I'll work hard, I'll prove them wrong. How is that actually um, um, manifested even in your life currently and over the years? Yeah, and it's because it's like, it all started with the fact that I adore my family so much. So I, I don't want to see my family struggle anymore. I don't want to live in poverty. I don't want, I don't want my extended family not to have an example, not to have opportunities, you know? So when I look back at my family background, um, at the beginning of my career, that is exactly what drove me to work hard. Um, 
it it was it was literally all I could think about in terms of well, um, there's no going back. You know what I mean? It's either yeah. you move forward because what what what's at the back is it's not pretty, it's not nice, and it it needs to be better. So that personality, the, those characteristics have literally driven me up to a certain point in my career up until um, I ended up in the in the automotive industry early in my in my twenties. Mm. Um, I mean, from the very moment that I had my interview. Uh, I remember I was interviewed by a panel of vice presidents at my at the first automotive manufacturer that I worked at, and I told them, "Listen, I want to be here, and this is what I have to offer." Um, I was vibrant. I was um, very vibrant. I, I still remember I was in a blue dress and pink high heels, and they asked me, "Why am I dressed like that?" And I told them. Well, it would be easy for me to wear black and white, but I'd look like everybody else. But I'm not like everybody else. I'm really bringing something different and I really want to work here. Hmm. Um, Even the presentation that I had did, you know, I remember they asked us to prepare a presentation and some people did like a very simple PowerPoint. I came with videos, um, mystery shopping, and I told them exactly what they didn't want to hear. And they all looked at me and they're like, well, we didn't expect that. And I was like, well... The thing is, I can sit here and lie to you and paint fairy tales, or I can just be honest with you and, and tell you the truth and bring like very viable solutions. And that's how I got hired, you know. Mm-hmm. And it even got me um, onto an international program um, in Germany. What most people don't know is that I had applied twice for that program, um, and I was rejected the first time. But then that rejection was like actually no this is on my this is on my to-do list this is one of my goals so i'm gonna try again next year i'm gonna do better so i studied german while everybody knocked off and went home i would stay at work and practice my german and actually try to connect with german colleagues overseas you know to help me improve and by the time um i had to be interviewed again i was ready um and it was all because of like one rejection, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that fueled me even more to go back and do and do more. Are you scared of failure? No. I am terrified of failure. Okay. Um, terrified of failure. And, 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 is it, <laughs> and is it something that, that developed from, you say, when you were 12, when your parents de- decided to separate and now mm. this reality came into your life? Is that the, the is that the, the the output of that? Because you say you started going to the library almost five times in a week. You took up the mm. the basketball on weekends and even during the week, you became aggressive. Is it is it aggressive or is it determined? Uh, what would, would you call I it? I would say, I would say it's it's determined and it is a, a fear of failure. And it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, my relationship with failure has been uh, very, very tricky. On the one hand, like I am, um, I am brave, so I'm, I'm was, not afraid to do today. things like, that other people are not willing to do. So I am not afraid to get into spaces that, that, that other people would usually be afraid of. It of completely mm. crippled me and crippled my I've career. also sensed in myself that. I didn't when know I'm how in to those deal with spaces. It. I didn't this, know how to feel on failure. I didn't know how to embrace um, it. Um, although it's, it's a good drive. I judged myself too um, harshly. I beat myself. The thing is, failure is inevitable. But yes. Um, over in anyone's life. So when it did happen, yeah, it I'm standing right me. now, I yeah. am. Um, it completely crippled me. Because I didn't want it to be my reality, there was almost that. Um, it was it still shocks me today like i've been so determined that i've never failed in my life but when it did come and failure is inevitable it completely crippled me and crippled my career i didn't know how to deal with it i didn't know how to move on i didn't know how to embrace it um i judged myself too harshly i beat myself up for for over a year about it and yeah where i'm standing right now i am 
um, post recovery of failure. Right, right, right. And and I mean, it's such a very important topic, isn't it? I mean, the fact that uh, the the parent think this is if we move out uh, when 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 the love between us is no longer there, uh, deciding to mm. separate is good for the children. But sometimes it achieves mm. the opposite effect. I mean, in your in your instance, it, it made you laser focused. It made you so determined, but at the same time, yes. very, very scared to fail because you saw the failure inside the house. Correct. And um, I mean, like I said, this is not just my reality. I'm sure a lot of people have, have gone through this. Sometimes yeah. when parents separate, they separate on good terms. Sometimes they don't. Mine yeah. didn't separate on good terms. Okay. So my laser focus came from wanting to to escape, you know. And uh, this thing of failure, because I never wanted to go back into that space of negativity, of anger, um, that space where, you know, we had to choose between electricity or new school shoes, Um. It, it was never something that I imagined I imagined for myself in the future, right? right. So I, I now stress that it's, it's very important to have a good relationship with failure um, and to not expect failure, but to rise above um, failure as quickly as possible. And y- you can't do that if you, if you, if you don't talk to it almost, if you don't, if you completely do not have a relationship with it at all, you know what I mean? Um, it's failure is not something that's discussed often in our culture. We mostly celebrate successes and, um, growth and all that, all, all of that is, it's, it's great, but people don't talk enough about, about the failures and recovering from failure. So I, I was unprepared for it. Um, I think moving forward in the future, um, I am actually loving who I'm becoming now because I am I'm not I am less afraid of failure. And even if it does come, I'm just like, mm, okay, on to the next thing. Let's let us let us let us try again. You right, know what I mean? And right. It's very important to to reflect on why why this failed and be realistic and honest about why something failed. Hmm. You, you. I mean, you. You mentioned that. I mean, and and I. I've been lucky to almost also witness your your journey into uh, Europe uh, based on the program that you said you initially failed the assessment test for, and on second attempts that you actually got to uh, be accepted and you flew. And mm. I, I used to read your blog as religiously as probably a pastor would uh, uh, mm-hmm. do whatever that they need to do in order to prepare for their Sunday uh, sermons. And it was a mixed bag uh, in terms of your experience there. Do you want to talk about, I mean, how did you experience Europe and, and vis-a-vis South Africa now that you're back? Yeah. Um, yeah, I packed my suitcase and moved to Europe. And for those who want to read my blog, I will definitely share it with you. I think it's currently closed, but I'll be willing to open it up so you can read a few stories. Um, so I grew up as Europe being the place to go. Do you know what I mean? You haven't made it in life unless you've been to Europe. And mm. that perception is fueled by Instagram more so now in our generation. Like you haven't traveled if you haven't traveled to Europe. So I had this very fluffy idea, very beautiful um, idea of Europe. And, and when I got there, and despite the fact that I, ha- I could speak um, a bit of German, I could make my way around. It was such a huge culture shock that I was unprepared for, that I was never, ever exposed to. Mm. Um, I mean, yes, I work in a German multinational now in South Africa, but the cultures, um, the differences in the cultures in the workplace is massive. Um, mm. So Europe, hands down, has been the hardest, hardest journey um, that I've ever had to go through through in my life. Um, it's like I had to learn how to buy tomatoes again. It's like a baby learning how to walk. That's what it felt like being in Europe, buying groceries, 
um, not having a car and having to use public transport, um, being a, a specialist in South Africa, but being a type of intern in Europe, where people ask you to make tea and coffee, you know, and, you know, relearning how to do work in a different language and in a completely different industry than, than the one I was working in in South Africa. So all of, all of that came at me at once. And I will be honest, I was severely depressed. And even at the time, um, my doctor didn't know how to help me because she couldn't speak English. Mm. So she would just put me on antidepressants, you know, and just pray and hope, you know, just get through it. And because she couldn't speak English. And so looking back, it was the, hands down the hardest, um, the hardest part of my journey. And that is where my failure happened, you know. Um, I didn't have enough mentors mentors around me as you know when you're struggling with depression and anxiety and you're in a new country and you're alone and um, the walls literally feel like they're closing in on you um and it, it felt exactly like that um however um i didn't do very well in my workplace um didn't get along with people as much as as well as i had hoped to it was hard it's difficult to get to know germans and um, if any of you ever experience experience or come across that culture, it's difficult to get to know those people. It's just their culture. There's absolutely nothing wrong with them. Um, and, you know, we South Africans are very, very different. We have this Ubuntu, you know. Mm-hmm. If you find a tourist who's lost, you're willing to pick them up and take them to where, where they need to go. Um, so difficult journey um, professionally. However, there was it was my dream to, to live in Europe. Mm. And I look back at that experience with a lot of gratitude um, because I came back to South Africa a lot more humble, um, uh, a lot more open. I was obviously hurt that the experience didn't go as well as I had hoped it to. Mm. But, you know, it's, this is where this failure comes in. So what do you do when you realize you failed you know, how do you restart? How do you start building again? Um, I had to take Europe and compartmentalize it in a way. So really focus my mind on the good things that I got out of that experience. So mm. right now I can tell you I'm a lot better at dealing with conflict. Um, I've developed that grit, that perseverance, you know, mm. that... Um, that thick skin against conflict, against um, challenges. Um, I can obviously speak German now. Um, I build friendships in Germany that have been so fruitful for me personally. I have such good friends in Germany. Um, I've broadened my knowledge about South Africa, about Europe. Um, I've traveled Europe, so I've, I've seen it. Um, so people may post images on Instagram and say, oh, it's so amazing. But there are parts of Europe that are also in, in dire poverty. Um, people think Paris is glamorous. There's another side of Paris where they are housing refugees who are dying. So I have a better perspective about, I have a broader perspective about the world and what's out there in the world. And when I came back, I was a hundred times more patriotic than I was when I left. Um, I love my country. I want to see my country grow. I want to see the people in my country travel the world and not just Europe, like travel the world. And that includes Africa. Mm. I want young people in my country to, to actually, they cannot even imagine who they can be, but they need those opportunities. So I found my purpose in Europe, despite all the challenges and despite all the failures. And the past year and a half has really, um, been centered around getting me back again, building a foundation, um, rising above the hurts, navigating around the failures and rebuilding my career again um, in corporate. And yeah, so far, it was difficult in the beginning, of course, to come to terms with the realities about yourself um, that you wouldn't want to to come across, but mm. so far I think it's it's going okay. The journey has been has been good and been fruitful. I mean, the 
I'm, I'm looking at uh, my News 24 article where you talk about this, saying seeing the world made you understand South Africa and, and appreciate it better. And I just want to read two things which I thought from the article really caught me, um, uh, caught my attention. You say, to sum up my experience, living and working abroad as a young black professional is tough, painful, and lonely. Um, why do you use um, the descriptor black? Is it because you were black that your time abroad was this tough, painful, and as lonely as you think it is? It was? I always say that there are multiple reasons why my experience was tough, but um, the first thing people see about me when I walked into into that border gate, into my workplace was not that I was a professional. The first thing that they saw was that I was black, mm. right? And when you're, a black, when you're a black person living in Europe, you need to understand that you are a minority. Like you are a Chinese black grain of uh, a rice in a bowl of white rice, right? I was the only black person in the building. Um, and people don't know how to treat you. Some people are purely racist. People, if you're sitting down on the bus, somebody would move, people would stay. Um, in the workplace, people ask you funny questions like, do you have donuts in South Africa? Is that your real hair? Um, there is pure racism and ignorance. Mm. And um, that's what makes it lonely because you find it hard to connect with people um, who are, first of all, their culture is closed. Now they're not willing to get to know you and now you have to work with them, you know? Mm. And that's what I mean. I mean, I, I think at some point somebody thought I was an intern and I said, no, I'm, I'm not an intern from Africa here to frolic. I'm a professional from, from South Africa and I'm here to work, you know? Mm. And that's what I mean by it was lonely. And obviously there's not a lot of you there, you know, mm. I, they, I was fortunate enough to connect with other South Africans, but they had their own families and they had their own support. I was alone. Like every day when I w came home from work, I was alone in that house. I had to deal with all those traumas on my own. Um, and it's difficult to also deal with them with family because my mom doesn't understand. She didn't even understand why I had to work overseas in the first place. Um, your friends can't relate because they, have, they haven't traveled much before. I mean, they can imagine, but, you know, there's not a lot of people who can really, really, really relate. And that's what I mean when I say um, South Africans, Black South Africans who go from South Africa to Europe, um, life is lonely there, you know? It's very, very lonely. So I don't think people take that decision lightly. Um, of course, there is another group of people who absolutely love it. Like, can I never leave, you know? Mm. But it's, it's different strokes for different folks, you know what I mean? But that was my experience. Your I'm experience, pretty sure yeah. I'm not the only one. Yeah, I mean, I was also, you know, I, I was also in New Zealand, which is not part of Europe, Australasia. And I think the, the, the experiences that you're recounting, I, I also had them, uh, where for, for a good week, you probably don't see someone who looks like you. And people yeah. like to say colorblindness is there, but uh, it's also, I think, a, a sense of belonging when you see someone who looks like mm. you. And even when they mm -hmm. saw me, uh, some of the blacks who were in New Zealand, they were just as surprised to see. So there is another one. So it's almost like yeah. that wonder engulfs them so much. They don't, they can't even look at you, but you can see that there is curiosity in their eyes. Yeah. And then obviously the, yeah. the, the rude part of it was, you know, those who would openly stare because they, they're seeing someone who isn't wearing overalls, carrying a laptop bag, yes. and you're going into an office building. You're not a thief. You're not in construction, and 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 it kind of like baffled them. It's I, yeah. I I know what you mean when you talk about tough, painful, and lonely. It was just like that for me, and I was very lucky that I had a friend of mine who was also South African, not white, not black, white, uh, who mm. made it a bit more livable. 
and and yes. kept me focused. Although even he had his own family there, he kind of understood the dynamics of being there on your own, family far away from you, in a strange land to where you don't see people who look like you. So that that mm. resonated with me. But there's another part that then the caveat or to what you said is that but I honestly believe that we need to encourage more South Africans to go live abroad, particularly young mm-hmm. black students and professionals. Why would you want people to go and experience the hurts, the pain and loneliness that you faced uh, being the only darky in the building? So it's not just about experiencing that hurt and loneliness and the pain. It's about experiencing the lifestyle, the society and the systems, the cultures in Europe. So the, the first thing, when I came back to, to South Africa, um, the first thing that I had to relearn um, to do was how to be vigilant at a robot, how to uh, always remember to buy a handbag with a zip how to, oh, I can't go on walks anymore. So in Europe, it, Europe is safe. Um, not all parts of Europe, but Europe is is safe. And you won't know what I mean because very few South Africans know what it feels like to live in a safe society. Very few women in South Africa know what it's like to live in a safe society. I could take walks in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. and not worry that I would be mugged or raped or or kidnapped. I had lost my cell phone and wallet and somebody mailed it back to me. Mm. Um, and when I came back to South Africa, that's the first thing that I had to relearn how to do, like to be hyper vigilant, always lock your doors, um, make sure there's a butler gate um, in, your com- in, your, in your apartment, you know, all of those safety measures that we take. Um, mm. To us in South Africa, it's, it's normal. You know, it's become such a norm. Like it's 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 in our everyday. It's, it's embedded in our conscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I felt like um, young professionals in South Africa, honestly, um, even government officials. I'm not sure if they do this enough. I don't know. They need to go see what it means to live in a society that's safe and that a society that is working for their people. Do you know what I mean? Because right. We hardly ever experienced that. And when I started realizing the differences in our society, I became a hundred times more patriotic. I want to see my country work. Mm. Um, I, I really want to see my country work. I want to see our universities work and provide quality education, not just to a few privileged students, but to all students. I want to see corporate opening up um, doors to kids um, and interns from townships. I want to see the glass ceilings smashed, right? Despite being lowly in in in, in Germany and experienced mm-hmm. in Europe, yeah. Um, I at some point after a while, I felt taken seriously. Like people took me seriously as a professional more than they took me seriously as a black professional. So that aspect of a glass ceiling, it started chipping away slowly because I could put my money where my mouth is. Like I could walk the talk, I could do the work and I could do it well because South Africans have a fantastic work ethic. Mm. So I feel like um, young people need to go experience that culture, that grit, that pain, um, a diamond. That perseverance, that struggle, you know, to develop that that grit inside of you. Mm. I mean, we talk about diamonds. Before a diamond is shiny and beautiful, it had to go through so much um, uh, uh, hammering and fire and all of those things. Mm. And you know what I mean. And I feel like that needs to be experienced Um, in order for us to grow and break the glass ceilings. In our kind, uh, in corporate, and also make our society better for ourselves. Let's take a short break and come back.
Welcome back, everyone, to the turning point. Still on the line with Gea Bitsimawela. Gea Bitsimawela. A very, very strong and dynamic woman. Very smart, very focused. Welcome back, Gea. Thank you so much for staying on the line. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah. So, I mean, before we went to the break, we were talking about your life in Europe and and how much hurts, pain and growth that that moment of uh, your life became. You talk about the depression, having no one to talk to because even your therapist was German and couldn't understand or give you the proper advice. But and 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 then before that, we also had you know where you talk about how your parents' divorce became one of the very big turning points in your life in terms of the drive that it gave you to to focus and win, right? So, but which one of these uh, moments became the defining moments for Gia Bizimawe? I would say the defining moment was um, my experience in Germany um, in coming back. I like obviously the culture in Germany is different in terms of like working hours. So uh, I had a lot of free time in a nutshell, um, a lot of free time to think really about what my purpose is here on this earth and Am I really cut out for this corporate world? Do I have the the hunger, the drive, you know, the the thick skin to to make it into this vicious, vicious game? Um. So immediately when I came back, I went through a space of depression, and you know, and I obviously I obviously started throwing myself into my work. Um as a coping mechanism, but I also went to therapy and surrounded myself with, with people that I love to help me um, um, grow from that failure. Mm. Um, and also surrounded myself with mentees to help me grow, my, uh, grow to at least make me feel a little bit better about my failures. However, um, I really now started thinking about purpose. Like, am I really here just to have a house, a car, a pension fund, a husband, and a uh, cat. go buy groceries at Woolworths. A cat and a dog. You know, I started looking around. I think for me, by the age of twenty-five, I had I had ticked the boxes. Okay, mm. master's degree, own house. Uh, in a steady way, or was I single? I'm not sure. Mm. No, no, no. The husband came later, but I was fabulously single. I was traveling the world. I was living well, you know. Mm. Mm. And then Germany, in Germany, you're on your own. Now you start thinking, well, oh, is life really about just living well and living better? <sighs> that was the turning point. Right. So um, I started first, the concept of first year syndrome, in my first year in varsity, um, I was failing badly. I was struggling to adjust to university lifestyle. I had lived at home, obviously, my whole life, and now I was living in Rez. And, you know, at that time, Rez, you could, you know, it wasn't racist, but you could see the dynamics, the racial dynamics in residences. It's a new environment, you know. Mm. I'm not used to these racial dynamics. I'm not used to now having to cook my own food. I struggled at university um, in my first year. And I remembered writing down in my notebook, it would be nice to have something called, what I'm going through right now is something I call first year syndrome. It would be nice to have something to help me cope with first year syndrome. Um, right. And, you know, going back into to my old diaries um, last year, um, I, I started to revive and really put effort and thought into what first year syndrome could could be and what it might look like and those efforts those thoughts that research led me to a mentor advising me to apply for a course um at gibbs um gordon institute of business called yeah. it's a social entrepreneurship program and i was like what 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 is social entrepreneurship yeah. And he's like, okay, <laughs> you know, and then he's like, no, social entrepreneurship is um, for profit businesses 
with purpose at their center, at their core. Um, so I, I don't run an NGO. I run a for-profit uh, a business with a, with purpose at its center, at its core. And basically what that means is right now, First Year Syndrome is trying to build products that can help young graduates for, and first year students in grade 12s integrate better into what would be the first year of a new life, whether it be university, whether it be corporate um, or high school. And um, so the social entrepreneurship course, that's what it's really all about, teaching me what it means to be a social enterprise, the legalities behind it, you know, financial acumen, um, fund, we also go through topics such as funding, um, and that's what I'm busy with right now. I'm in that really in-depth research phase that has just filled me with so much knowledge about the employment workspace and graduates and corporates um, and how it all links back to apartheid. It's just such a beautiful, intense industry to, to be in, but it's, it's my purpose. I think about it every day and I try to work on it as much as possible. Um, while at the same time, I'm juggling a corporate career. Mm, um, mm. But I find myself working till 12 o'clock, 2 a.m. in the morning, um, trying to juggle both. And sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough. Sometimes I beat myself up. Sometimes I feel tired and I complain. I want to throw my toys. But one thing that I've just noticed is that I am working. Like I am doing it. Like I'm, I'm in the arena. I'm in the fight, you know, and I am learning every day. I am connecting with people. Um, and social entrepreneurs and this rich industry um, with people from all over the world in different organizations over and above um, my normal day-to-day -day job in corporate. So that has been the turning point. So I'm kind of right now in, in grinding mode, but it's, it's a beautiful grind if I may call it that way. Right, right. Uh, and I mean, all these things uh, are things, I mean, I know even before you went to, to Germany, uh, you, you contacted me saying you wanted to start a social enterprise where you were going to work with students and how to, you know, help them navigate the first year of their post-metric uh, life. And so for me, I think you've always had this purpose, maybe not as intense as it, probably that you have it now. Yeah, Would you agree? It's, 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 yes, I most, most definitely agree. Um, I, I would say that I got distracted and lost along the way, um, distracted by the glamour of corporate life, of living in Europe, distracted by all of that. And that's why my failure was so, so important because I said the next time I fail, I better fail at something that's really true to my heart that I love with my utmost being. Because... Um, I think one thing we fail as young people to do, and I don't blame us because we grew up in survival mode, is we forget to ask ourselves why we're doing something. And I think um, looking back, if I had uh, really analyzed why I was going to Europe, why I wanted to do this, um, I would have done better. But nonetheless, grateful for, for, for the experience. And the experience has done so much for me um, right now in the space that I'm in. I'm much more focused than I was back then on first year syndrome. And that international experience has also opened borders for me with, with people um, mm. that I get to network with, you know what I mean? So yeah. it wasn't all doom and gloom. So it's definitely has been part of my purpose. There's a lot more focus um, on it right now. Um, do I wish that I could give it more time? Yes, but I also believe that it's a journey. Before COVID, I was actually ready with my resignation letter to, to give up my life um, for this purpose. And then COVID happened and then I had to step back and reevaluate. And I'm mm. glad COVID happened because now I was literally in the space where I could split my time between my work and, and my social enterprise. And that's what I've been doing. And it's been great so far. So thankful to COVID for that. Um, so 
by the end of the year, hopefully I have a lot more direction. Um, I've received great feedback from, from some funders. I'm being funded on the program. I've received great feedback. So um, baby steps, but moving forward nonetheless. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, I mean, incredible, Jane, um, uh, that you've had and, and the grits that you've shown and the perseverance that came of it. But if you would mm-hmm. say to start over, God meets you, comes to you and say, okay, I've seen your grind, I've seen your heart, and I want to give you a fresh new start. What are the three things that Kia changes about herself, her life, and the people that she, she interacts or she has met? The three things that I, sorry, please repeat that. What are the three things that you will change about either your life, uh, the, the lives of the people you've met, or the things that you, you wanted to do and, and maybe before uh, you didn't do them because either of fear or something else that drove you not to do them? Okay. Um, the first thing. I would do is to go to Gold Drift City. I um I grew up poor. I've never been to Gold Drift City. And I know it sounds it sounds funny. All right. Um <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds funny, but um it's those things that we take for granted, right? Those those small experiences that are right next door, but you you never got to do. That's the first thing I think I I would like to change. I I, I need to go to Goldrift City, okay? Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then the second thing is um, I am determined to change the lives of the young women in my family. Um. I make a concerted effort to talk to them, to equip them with books, materials. Um, Every week I am on their case constantly um, because I want them to do better than me. Right. Um, I open up my networks to them. I I risk my reputation um, and open up my networks to them because I feel um they they deserve it so i would do anything for those young women in my immediate family and they also now also extend other young women outside of my family which is amazing so the word of mouth is traveling so they bring them in as well and saying help this one as well don't just help me Mm. so that's that's the second thing uh, i'd like to change and i want to see that change manifest um the third thing um, I want to do in the next two years is change my career. Um, yeah, I don't know how or what that's going to look like. I know it's going to involve social enterprises. Um, I know it's going to encompass my journey in Europe, my journey in marketing, in automotive. Um, it's going to encompass the skills that I have, I have, I have built for myself thus far. Um, but it's going to be a completely new career, career journey. And I, I re, I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, like I said, I don't know what it's going to look like, but my eyes are open and I am keen and I'm determined to do the work to get there. Wonderful. Um... So on the on the show we have a a feature called the random question. It's a question we never prepared you for. Um, that could be linked to something we're talking about or not. Uh, you but the caveat is that you have the right of refusal. You can say I won't be able to answer that, and then we will not ask ask any sort of why. Right? Here is mm. your random question. Are you ready? Yeah. Uh, are you guys planning to have children or is it no children for care? Oh. <laughs> I love because I was talking about this last night. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, it's no children for now. Okay. That's, so, that's the answer. It's no children for now. So there are plans. It's just the timing. 
Yeah, it's also like, you know, I'm afraid to have children. Me, I'm... Ish. Why? Like, just, just the thought of like, like being a mother, you know, and mm. failing at that. You know, this is fear of fa- failure. I'm just like, if I'm not going to be an excellent mother, and then people tell me there's no such thing as like a perfect mom, you know, you're all just feeling yourself through it. And I'm like, uh, I haven't, I haven't made peace with that. Um, but around the ages of 34, 35, um, we'll see how, how I feel. Yeah. Okay. Great. Mm. And who's, who's that one person that uh, Kia runs to for, for advice? I mean, in, in Europe, there was nobody, uh, but is mm. there someone now that Kia goes to and Kia wants an independent opinion? I have a cabinet of, of people like um, for different things. So if it's marriage, uh, I have my friend Catherine, I have um, my family, um, if it's corporate, um, I have a few directors, I have my husband, um, who himself is, is a business owner, who advised me. Um, if it's financial, uh, I'm not good at that, need to get better at that, I need someone for that. Um, but I have like a different people that I would go to advise for different things. Right. And mm. I mean, you, you, you talk about the fact that you now want to be, become a social entrepreneur. What business mm. do you think no one is building that you, you think this someone needs to be building this business because it doesn't exist? Um, hmm. Yeah, I think the business of coaching and mentoring young people is something people are not doing. There's a lot of focus on on coaching professionals. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so you've already gone through the hard times. But I, I'm a core believer that if you know better from a younger age, um, whether you do better or not, it's not like you didn't know. Um, I think I come across many young people who don't do better because they don't know. So I want to change that, you know, and I think that that space is missing. Um, in our education system, um, I, 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 I've gone through our education system, so I know it's not there. Um, that mentoring of like um, sharing opportunities um, available to young people post-matric, not just in South Africa, but around the world, fully funded opportunities, mm. by the way. Okay. You know, they are there. It's just people don't know about them. So I feel like that's, that space is, it's, it's, there's a gaping hole. Right. And mm. I mean, what, uh, do you listen to music at all? If Oh yeah. I listen to music all the time. Um, that's when I'm in my zone and trying to get through 200 emails. That's what's, that's, that's what's in my ear. <laughs> <laughs> so which song have you been playing repeatedly for the past week? Um, it's actually a, a Deep House song, if I can just get the name. And um, I don't know why I'm, I'm in a Deep House zone. type of zone. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it also could be because we're, people from Pretoria and, you know, people in Pretoria. So the song is called Love Will Stay by Divinity. Okay. Divinity, sorry. Divinity. Love Will Stay. Original mix by Divinity. Absolutely loving that song right now. It's just really gets me going and calm. Is it? Mm. Okay. And on the socials, where can people go to read your incredible story of life and travel and career in Europe. Okay, so firstly, um, my Instagram is called Kia underscore Bizi, um, and there is a link actually to to my blog kiabizi.wordpress.com. And that's my Instagram. And the same for my Twitter handle. It's called Kia. Okay. Bizi. 
Yeah, just at Kia Pizzi. And I think that's actually, yeah, those are the two. I have Facebook, but I'm not good at Facebook. There's so much going on in Facebook, but I'm okay. learning. I, I, it's, it's my first time being back on Facebook after seven years, so I'm learning. Right. Any yeah. parting shots? Um, it's something that I have learned recently. Um, you, everybody is surrounded by people, things saying that you cannot do something. And I'm sure by all facts and, you know, science, it does, it does say there is some level, some, some level of logic to, to say that saying that you can't do something. Don't let that stop you from doing it. Um, nobody, nobody, absolutely no one can diminish that belief that you have in yourself about doing that, that thing. So for as long as you believe it is true, it is right, it deserves your effort, um, the universe will meet you halfway. Um, just go for it. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Kia Bidzimawela for the time that you spend with us and for sharing so many nuggets. I mean, I definitely felt uh, some of the points that you mentioned because I know it, I, I felt them myself uh, in, my, in my journey to leave this country uh, and came, yeah. came back so, so patriotic and loving the, all the nuances and all the quirks of, this, of, of our people and of this, this mm. beautiful nation. So thank you so much. Yeah. And we wish you uh, nothing but the best and more success. We look forward to reading more about you uh, and seeing your star rise even further. Thank you so much, Tapo. Hopefully we'll connect again on my new organization one, once it's ready for launch. Yes, just let us know. We will be ready to talk to you and share your incredible story once again. Awesome. Cheers and bye-bye. Cheers. Bye, everybody. This was another episode of the Turning Point Stories That Inspire. Cheers and goodbye. Remember, you can also be a part of the show by sending us your comments via voice notes or emailing us at theturningpointspodcast at gmail.com. Theturningpointspodcast at gmail.com.